continuing to study through the book of 2 Corinthians. Just about to wrap it up. Probably have about three more studies, including this morning. And then we'll move on into Galatians. And Paul, as you know, has been answering his critics uh, for the last several chapters. That's really been the theme as he is having to give a defense for his ministry and he's beginning to boast reluctantly. And we've talked at great length about why he's boasting. It's not something that he likes to do. Uh, it's something that he really does reluctantly. But he does it nevertheless because he knows that if they're discrediting him, then they're discrediting the gospel message. And so he continues really with that theme here in chapter 12 as he moves into talking about this incredible vision that he was given. And this is a familiar passage. I'm sure you've heard it referenced. I'm sure you've heard it spoken about, Paul's vision, the thorn in the flesh. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. And as we make our way through this text, we're really going to see three things. We're going to see the vision. Then we're going to see the thorn that resulted from the vision. And then we're going to see the lesson that Paul learned out of that. And so let's read our text and then we'll go back and we'll see um, how it applies to us personally. Second Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 10. It is doubtless not profitable for me to boast. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know or whether out of the body I do not know. God knows such a one was caught up to the third heaven. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows how he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter of such a one. I will boast yet of myself. I will not boast except in my infirmities, for though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool. For I will speak the truth, but I refrain, lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me to be or hears from me. And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. And so in verses 1 through 6, we see the vision. Paul says basically that it's really not profitable for him to boast, but he's found it necessary because of this discrediting that they had begun to do regarding him and his authority as an apostle. And so he continues to boast, but it's interesting that he does this in the third person. As he's talking about this vision he talks about it in the third person, which has led some people to believe, well, maybe this isn't even Paul. But clearly, as he moves on into verse seven, he 
then goes into first person again regarding the event. And so we know it is Paul, but he's doing everything that he can to make sure that he's not coming across arrogantly, that he's not using this to puff himself up, that he's only even talking about this because they've made it necessary, which is interesting because most people, when they have an incredible vision like this, they want to brag about it. They want to boast about it. They want to tell everybody about it. In fact, they want to write books. They want to be on, you know, ABC with Barbara Walters and tell you all about these heavenly visions that they supposedly had. Whereas Paul here, he says, this happened 14 years ago. And I didn't even want to talk about it, but it's become necessary. And so let's make our way through verses 1 through 6. I think there's some interesting things there. He says, I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows, he was caught up to the third heaven. And so Paul wasn't even aware of the fact of if he was actually taken to heaven physically or if he was just given a vision sort of in his mind. He wasn't sure how this took place. He was taken up to the third heaven, which basically is the dwelling place of God. In the Greek mind, there were three heavens. There's the heaven that we can see where the birds fly and, you know, maybe airplanes fly and and we can look up and we can see it with our own eyes. And then beyond that, we might call it space today. You have the second heaven, which would be the abode of the stars and the planets and, and all of that. And then the third heaven is really what we might refer to as a fourth dimension. It's beyond anything that we could ever go to in a spaceship or see with a telescope. It's beyond our dimension. And that would be heaven. It would be the dwelling place of God. And that's where Paul was taken to. Whether out of the body or in the body, he doesn't know. But he knows that he saw heaven. He saw God. And he was caught up there. And Paul is speaking in third person. I know such a man. Again, he reiterates, whether in the body I do not know or out of the body, God knows. He was caught up to paradise. And he heard inexpressible words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Now, this doesn't mean that Paul heard things he didn't understand. What it means is that he heard things that he was not permitted to repeat. He wasn't supposed to come back and tell everybody what he saw and what he heard. Again, which sort of flies in the face of much of what we see on television in these books that are written about people that supposedly went to heaven. They want to tell you everything about it. They want to give you details of the bright light and the man that met them in the tunnel and everything else, which seems to be contradictory to what Paul, who we know went to heaven, was told to do. And so it kind of brings some skepticism to me in, in, in relation to uh, these people's experience. Paul says he was not permitted to utter these things. Which is also interesting in relationship to our visions and the things that God might show us um, in terms of revelation and visions. Oftentimes, people will say, I got a vision for 
you know, you or I saw this thing and I think it relates to you. And whenever I hear that, I'm always a little skeptical about that as well, because I think when God gives somebody a vision, it's typically a very personal thing. It's typically something that's for them. Otherwise, why wouldn't God have just spoken to me? God has my address. God knows who I am. He doesn't need to speak to you to then speak to me. And I'm not saying that it's impossible or that God never works that way. It's just I always am a little skeptical when I hear people say, hey, I got a vision and it was for you. I think oftentimes, biblically speaking, when men and women received visions, they were for them personally. And also, you find the receiver of that vision not being so anxious to go tell everybody about it. They're, they're, they're a bit reticent to repeat it, to share it. It's kind of between them and the Lord. Now again, that's not a hard and fast rule. It's just something that we see patterned in Scripture and, and I think that it's something that is typical. And we need to be careful of, you know, I got a vision for you, brother, and I got something for you, sister, and we, we need to be careful of that. Uh, and, and really make sure that that, that is what God is wanting us uh, to say or to do. And Paul says, of such a one I will boast, yet of myself I will not boast. And so again, he's very careful that he's not boasting in himself, except in my infirmities, he says. That's what I'll boast about. For though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool, for I will refrain, for I will speak the truth, but I refrain, lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me to be or hears from me. Paul did not want anybody to think of him more highly than they ought to. He didn't want to give a false impression. He didn't want people to see him. He wanted them to see Christ. And how opposite that is of what we see in our society today and even what we see in the church today. You see pastors and Bible teachers today and it's, it, it's seemingly their show. It's seemingly about them. And even in our own lives, we want people to recognize us. We want people to boast about us. We love to hear our name spoken by others. And we love to see our name in lights and our name, you know, sort of regarded as great. And Paul says, that's not what I want. I want Jesus to be glorified. So we need to be careful of that. Even the desire, even the Longing for that kind of glory can make you an arrogant person, can make you a person that is constantly thinking about him or herself. And, and you guys, it's a dangerous place to be as God says, I will not share my glory with another. And so be careful of that. Learn from the Apostle Paul who was not interested in making a name for himself. He was interested in Glorifying Christ. And because of this great revelation that Paul was given, because of this vision that he saw, he was also given a thorn in the flesh. Because whenever God uses us in a mighty way, whenever we experience powerful things from the hand of God, we have a tendency to get arrogant about it. 
Whenever God uses you powerfully. And that's why you see these guys who probably started out in humility. But then as they filled up stadiums full of people, then as people began to regard them as this great Bible teacher, as their books sold like wildfire, they began to think of themselves more highly than the odd. And what God will typically do for a person who is being used by Him mightily, who is receiving visions, who is receiving revelations, He'll put a thorn in the flesh. He'll, he'll bring about some kind of a reminder of our weakness so that it keeps us humble. And that's exactly what Paul received. He says, "...unless I should be exalted above measure..." By the abundance of the revelations. And so because of these things that I saw, God knew the propensity for me to become arrogant. And so a thorn in the flesh was given to me. A messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. And so Paul was given a thorn in the flesh. Now, there's been a lot of conjecture as to what exactly is Paul's thorn. People have said it was his marriage that went bad because, you know, we know that Paul was married as a member of the Sanhedrin previously. Some people say it was uh, something physical, maybe his eyesight. Maybe it was uh, all the, the things that we read about last week, all the physical torture that basically he went through that there were these lasting repercussions and physically he was just beaten down. Uh, some people think it was more emotional, more spiritual, some kind of a depression. The fact is we really don't know what Paul's thorn in the flesh was. I personally believe that it was probably some physical Malady, Probably his eyesight as he talks at great length in Galatians about the fact that he had to write in large letters and that, you know, he, he had trouble with his eyesight, which for a man who was writing as much as he was and a man that was traveling and ministering, having good eyesight would have been important. And this poor eyesight that he had would have certainly been a hindrance for him and a difficulty. But whatever the case, he had this thorn. And it probably was something physical as he describes a thorn in his flesh. It seems to be something physical rather than emotional or spiritual. But be that as it may, it was given to him as a messenger of Satan, he says, to buffet me. And so interesting that Paul recognizes that this thorn, whatever it was, was from God but it was also from the enemy. It was both. And oftentimes the things that are troublesome in our life, like what we read about with Job, how Job experienced these difficulties, these trials, these troubles, and they were directly from Satan as the devil went to God and sought permission to basically ruin and destroy Job's life. They were from the enemy, but God allowed it to happen. 
And so we have to recognize that as part of God's sovereignty. That there's nothing that happens in our life that is not allowed by God. He allowed it to happen. Otherwise, He's not sovereign in your life. Otherwise, He's not omniscient. Otherwise, He's not all-powerful and able to control your life. If there's things that happen that He's not aware of or that He's not in control of, then that would make God impotent in that particular area, which is, of course, not biblical at all. God's all-powerful. God knows everything. And He sees it before it even happens to you. And it's as if that thing kind of has to filter through the love of God. Whatever that is. And for all of us, it's different. This thorn that Paul experienced, for all of us, it's a different thing. But before it happened, I kind of picture it coming down like an assembly line. And, and here's God, and, and He says, yeah, that, that's good for Ryan. Go ahead and allow that to go through as it filters through His love. But then also, along with that, there's a whole host of things that God doesn't allow to go through. And so we just see what He does allow. We think, God, my life is horrible, it's ruined, but what about all the things that He stops that He doesn't allow? Think of all the things that could happen to you that have happened to others. Think of all that happened to you. And so, yeah, you know, you've had your trials and you've had your difficulties and you have your thorn, but you don't have my thorn. You don't have this person's thorn and easily that could happen to you. We could have every disease known to man. You know, we could have every relational struggle that is possible. We could have all the financial problems that maybe somebody else does. But we don't have all of them. And so God only allows what He knows we, through His strength, can handle. And He only allows that which He knows will be profitable for us. And this particular thing was profitable for Paul. It kept him grounded. It kept him from being an arrogant guy. And so it's not so important what the thorn is. What's important is that we learn from it. Because these thorns, you guys, they will either be accepted by us and we learn from them, or they will be a constant source of questioning and anger and resentment toward God. And so we have a choice. Are we going to accept them and learn from them? Or are we going to kick against it and fight it and allow it to become that which makes us bitter and resentful toward the Lord? You have a choice. And there's several important lessons that we can learn from Paul's thorn in the flesh. First of all, we learn that spiritual blessings are more important than physical ones. Paul thought he could be a better Christian if he was relieved of this weakness. As he says 
He pleaded with the Lord three times that God would take this away. So it wasn't like Paul thought this was such a great idea. Three times he pleaded with God, and then God came to him and said, Look, you don't need to pray this way anymore. This is going to stay, and it's good for you. And so Paul thought if he was relieved of this, that it would actually be better. But in fact, the opposite was true. He was a better Christian because of this thorn in the flesh. He was closer to God because of this thorn in the flesh. Which flies in the face of much of what is taught today that God wants you to be healthy and wealthy and wise and and if you have any sort of trouble in your life that you must not have enough faith. And I don't know where that comes from except from a pipe dream that That's what God would want for us. I mean, it sounds really great, but it's not biblical. Because we constantly see God's people going through difficulties. And certainly here with Paul. He thought it would be better if he didn't have this particular thing. And yet God said, no, it's better if you have it. And so spiritual blessings are better than physical ones. Another lesson that we learn is that unanswered prayer does not always mean that the need is not met. Paul's prayer was not answered the way he wanted it to be. And yet, God was doing what was the best. And so we need to understand that in our prayer, like Jesus, we need to say, Lord, not my will be done, but Your will. God, I don't want what seems best to me. I want what is best for me. I want your will and your sovereign. You know best. God's greatest blessings do not come because we think that's what we need. God's greatest blessings come when we submit to what He knows we need. God always answers prayer, but it may not be the way that we think He should answer it. That's basically the idea. Then another thing that we learn from Paul's thorn in the flesh is that weakness is strength if Christ is in it. And another thing is that there is grace to meet every need. As we move on into verse 9, He said, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect In weakness, therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. The lesson that Paul learns from this thorn is that when we're weak, the power of God is able to shine through us. That's why God chooses the foolish things of this world. So that people don't look to us and think, oh yeah, that makes sense. I can see why they're so powerfully and mightily used. No, so that they look to us and they say, that makes zero sense. I don't know how in the world that's happening. It must be God. It must be the Lord. And then He gets the glory for it. And so, 
that's exactly what happened in Paul's life. So that people wouldn't look to him and think, oh yeah, I could see that. I mean, look at his pedigree. Look at his background. Look at his education. God knew that he had to keep Paul humble. God knew that he had to keep Paul from being the one that was exalted. And the way that he did that was this thorn in the flesh. And Paul didn't like it. But Paul was able to learn from it. Paul was able to see that through that, the grace of God was sufficient for him. That in this thing, he could see the power of God. He could see the strength of God. And I don't know what that is for you. It could be any number of things that God wants to manifest His strength to you. And you may be thinking, God, take this away from me. Lord, remove this thorn. I want it gone. It's not helpful to me. But God is saying, no, it is helpful. I want you to see my strength through this. I want you to see that my grace is sufficient. And I don't know what that is for you. It could be your past. It could be relational struggles in your present. It could be financial difficulties. It could be trials at work. It could be something physical. It could be something mental. I don't know what it is. But you have a choice really in your life whether you're going to kick against it or you're going to embrace it. And you have a choice whether you're going to see this as beneficial to you or something that is harmful to you and not good for you. And God says He will work everything out for our good. And you may not see that right now. And we use that kind of as a cliche, Romans 8, 28, hey brother, it's all going to work out for the good for those that love God. And you're thinking, I don't see how this is going to work out for my good. But God does. And you have to embrace it and allow Him to work that out in your life. And to show His grace as being sufficient for you. It's an opportunity for you to learn about His strength rather than your own strength. It's an opportunity for you to see that even though you are weak, He can use you. He can be strong on your behalf. See, we want to rely upon our own strength. We want to rely upon our own resources. And this is God's way of making sure that that doesn't happen. And so whatever that is for you, whatever this thorn in the flesh is, what are you going to do with it? Are you going to complain about it? Maybe you've already, like Paul, prayed several times, God, remove this thing. And He's shown you, no, this is going to stay. Now you have a choice. Are you going to trust Him? Are you going to believe that He's sovereign and that everything that happens to you is allowed by Him? Or are you going to question His sovereignty? Are you going to question His ability to work through you despite 
this particular thorn in the flesh. Paul says, I take pleasure in these things. He had come to a place that he had now taken pleasure in his infirmities, reproaches, in his needs, in the persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. Why? Because when I am weak, then I am strong. When we come to the end of ourselves, that's when we find true strength. If you're relying upon yourself, if you're relying upon your own resources, if you think that when your life is just going perfectly in your own idea of what perfect is, and that's where you'll be satisfied, if that's where you're at, then you're really missing out on what God wants to do. And so I don't know what that thorn is for you. I don't know what it might become for you. What might happen in the future. But we have to come to a place, you guys, where we are willing to embrace whatever happens to us. And yes, it's from the Lord as well as the fact that it's a messenger of Satan to buffet us. And so we, we see it as this destructive force in our life. We see it as this thing that is trying to destroy us, but at the same time, it's God keeping us right where He wants us. So it's this interesting dynamic that takes place in our life. But as long as we are trusting in the Lord, as long as we're giving it to Him, He'll use it for our good. It'll be a benefit to us. It may not look like it. It may not feel like it. You may not see it today. But I can guarantee you this. The longer you kick against it, the longer you complain about it, the more resentful you become about it, you're only hindering what God wants to do. You're only holding up the process. And these trials that are coming into your life, as, as they come, we can either learn from them or we can kick against them and have to experience it over and over and over again. So it really is our choice how we're going to handle these particular things. My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. It's a great verse for us to remind ourselves of in times of difficulties. God's grace, it's sufficient to carry us through. If Paul can deal with all that he dealt with, then we can deal with the things that we're experiencing presently. I mean, you read about these things that Paul went through. In chapter 11 that we looked at last week. And you think, how in the world could anybody live through that, number one? And how in the world could anybody get up and continue to serve God? How was Paul not just mad at everybody? How was Paul not angry at God? And the only way in which that can be explained is through chapter 12, verse 9. His grace was sufficient. 
Because you talk to people and, you know, maybe they lost a child or, you know, maybe they were abused as a child or maybe they went through a divorce or maybe they went through bankruptcy or they had some kind of major thing happen and they're mad at God and they hate God. And why would this happen to me if God loved me, then why is this happening? And it's the old adage, you know, why do bad things happen to good people? And I mean, I think that Paul was a man that we might consider good, even though I don't like that definition, but I think we might consider him a good guy. He loved the Lord. He was serving God. He was out trying to share the Lord with as many people as he possibly could. He was planting churches. And look what his reward was. Imprisonment. Long periods of time with no food. Poverty. Being robbed. Being beaten being shipwrecked, being stoned. That was his reward. And I don't hear Paul complaining about it. And then we say, Lord, I lost my job. Lord, I've got these knee problems. You must not love me. You know, Lord, how come I lost my eye? Lord, I'm going bald. It's not fair. You hate me, you know. And the fact is, is that we have it pretty good compared to the Apostle Paul. And Paul could say, I've learned to take pleasure in these things. Paul wasn't some kind of masochist who just, you know, loved the feel of pain. You know, it wasn't that at all. Paul had learned that these were the things that God was using to draw him closer to the Lord. These were the things that God was using to make himself known through Paul. And so the very thing that Paul wanted to do, which was to make Christ known, which was to go into all the world and preach the gospel, this was the catalyst. This was the fuel that ran that machine. And Paul recognized that. And so if we understand that God has our best interests in mind, we need to understand that. God has your best interests in mind. So we get that settled. It's kind of part of our theology. We etch it in stone. God has my best interests in mind. Okay, I believe that. So everything that happens to me from here on out, I've got to filter through that. God has my best interest in mind. So this thing must be for my best interest. This thing must be a part of that good that God wants to work in my life. See, but if we don't get that settled in our mind, if that's not part of your theology, then you will struggle with everything that happens to you. I wonder if God loves me. I wonder if God truly cares. I wonder if God knows about this. So you've got to get those foundational principles about God settled in your mind. He's sovereign. He knows everything. He's in control. And everything that happens to me, He's aware of it. You get that settled. Then you get it settled. That God loves me and nothing can separate me from His love. 
And I can do nothing to make him love me more than he already does. And I can do nothing to make him love me less than he already does. We get that settled in our mind. That's part of our theology, see. Then the thorn, the trial, the difficulty. We filter it through that and we say, okay, Lord, you're in control. You knew about it. It must be for my good. You love me. Everything's for my best interests. You see how that's so important? Paul knew that. There was no wavering. There was no question in his mind. And that's why he could say, I take pleasure in these things. So I don't know what you guys are going through. But I do know that whatever it is, God has a purpose and God has a plan for it. And He wants to use it for your good. Let's stand and pray together, guys.